You are back with Encounter with God here on Faith FM, and we have another clue for the quiz, which I have not yet figured out. Yes, we do. Okay. Th- We're I into think- the second hour of the program. Yeah, I think- Double prize is still up for grabs. Give us a call. 1-800-324-843 is our number, or 1-800-FAITH-FM. Okay, I think this is going to make it a little bit easier. Gives, mm-hmm. it, gives it a little bit more. Okay, again, this is a what city in my quiz, and the next clue is- Samuel reaffirmed Saul's kingship in this city. Its name begins with G. Okay. I got it. You, you know what's up? Mm-hmm. Let me just write this one down for you. I don't believe you. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I'll go with the first spelling. I know I don't know how to spell. You would be incorrect. Oh, yeah. what? Yeah. No. Read that clue again. Okay. Okay. Here's the clue again. Samuel reaffirmed Saul's kingship in this city. It na- its name begins with G. Nah. I'm just spelling it wrong, right? No. A hundred percent. It's like completely wrong. Mm. Like its name begins with G, but other than that, like... You need to you need to step up your game line. Okay, all right. It, it will come to me before the end of this this little segment right here. I just want to say that I have beaten Lyle in Bible trivia once before, and it was po- probably the best feeling of my life. <laughs> um, I beat him in one question. You and want, it, you want to have a rematch? Oh, not really. Like it, it was it was well. We were doing like a series of Bible trivia, and it wasn't that I beat Lyle in Bible trivia. I got I beat him in one question, and that that was enough to satisfy my soul. And I, well, because it wasn't just you either. It was we we're playing with your son Harley, who's studying to be a minister, as well as Braden, who is a pastor of two churches and people who are very knowledgeable about the Bible. And I myself at the time was a very, you know. New, a new Christian, Christian a new and Christian. new Bible work. And you're actually doing really, really well. And to, to get to get a question over you guys, especially when like we only had one guest and you're out, and I like I, I, I got in there and I said like I said the answer and it was correct. Oh man. It, like I felt chills. I was tingling, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Good fun. Good fun. Fun times. Okay, so where are we up to? Oh, we were talking about Paul. Yes. Book of Acts. Paul is in front of the Sanhedrin. As he's there in front of the Sanhedrin, he brings up the resurrection because he recognizes that this is going to divide the Sanhedrin. Suddenly all the Pharisees are on his side and all the Pharisees are throwing um, stones, verbal stones at all of the Mm -hmm. Sadducees who are on the other side. The whole place turns into an uproar and no court case takes place. Yep. Quite an interesting tactic that Paul comes out with here. However, it does raise the issue of the resurrection. And when we're thinking about the resurrection, we mentioned this yesterday, it's probably the least likely event to ever take place on planet Earth. I think there's been, you know, in the Bible, you've got what, like eight resurrections, I think, in total. Mm-hmm. So if you span, you know, if you span that out over the space of, uh, you know, 6,000 years of history, this is not something that happens on a regular basis. No, it's not. And Jesus has chosen to found the Christian church on the reality, the fact of the resurrection. Mm -hmm. So if you can disprove the resurrection or if you can make it look like a foolish story or if you can make it look like just a ridiculous legend, then Christianity is pretty much down the tube, right? Yeah. So the question is why haven't people and why didn't people at that particular time attempt to do so? 
Because Because They couldn't It was very yeah, They were too close to the circumstances to be able to do So that's the answer yeah. right there And so I thought we might spend a little bit of time just talking about the resurrection um, As the foundation of Christianity We are now 2,000 years down the track Mm-hmm being 2,000 years down the track, it gives us much greater opportunity to treat it as a legend if we so choose. Oh, yeah, for sure. And there are many people in the world who do. Um, I tend to think that most people who do so, do so out of ignorance of the mm. facts of the case, um, the facts of what actually took place and the facts of what is recorded in the Bible and in secular mm. history. So I thought we might uh, begin by looking at Paul's testimony in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This was written, um, yeah, maybe 20 years or so after the events. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you could read that one, verses... Chapter 15. Verse 3 um, through 8. Okay. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 3, I passed on to you... What was the most important? What was most important, and what had also been passed on to me? Christ died for our sins, just as the Scriptures said. He was buried, and he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the Scriptures said. He was seen by Peter, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen by more than five hundred of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. When Paul makes this statement, one of the key and telling parts of this statement is where he states that the majority of people who had seen Jesus alive after his death were still alive Mm -hmm. and that this group numbered about 500 people. Yeah. Okay, so this rules out a number of things immediately. First of all, you don't make that kind of a claim uh, that close to the events. For sure. Nobody's ever done that who has been trying to create a myth. When you're creating a myth, you write about things that have happened you know, outside of the lifetime of, of anyone who is living right now. Mm-hmm. Paul basically throws the gauntlet down. He says, look, Jesus was seen by 500 people at once. The mo- majority of them are still alive. If you don't believe me, go and ask them. Yeah. You know, you can track these people down. You can talk to them. You know, there's a there might have been one or two that have passed away, but um, you know, you don't make that kind of claim if you don't you don't challenge people to check the facts if the facts are not going to back up your story. Oh, for sure. The second thing that is significant about this is that this was not an, a hallucination. Mm-hmm. That one or two people had where they thought they saw Jesus. They might have taken some drugs or something or other. Like, oh, Jesus came back to life. No, this is not a hallucination. That is happening right here. This is, uh, you don't have 500 people having an identical hallucination at the same time. Mm. Uh, The other important consideration along with that is that to have a hallucination, you need to have a basic um, pre-belief in what you are hallucinating about. Mm -hmm. And, of course, the Jews had no pre-belief standing belief in a crucified and resurrected Messiah that would set them up to be hallucinated. And if 500 people were hallucinating the exact same hallucination at the same time, that would be without parallel anywhere in the world. Yeah. So, you know, this is is, um, a fairly powerful uh, uh, statement that, that Paul makes right here. And, of course, it leads us to 
you know, the fact that we spoke about yesterday, that the tomb was empty. Yeah. Jesus' tomb was empty. At any point, the enemies of Christ could have destroyed the Christian church simply by exhuming the body of Christ. Mm. The fact that they never did shows that that tomb was empty and now you have to come up for an explanation not only as to how there are 500 plus people running around claiming that Christ is alive but also of why can nobody produce the body of Jesus Christ for sure i think the amazing thing about it like that 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 i see is like you said we're talking about myths and legends this story is so rooted in history it's so attested like there's yeah it's the most historically attested story that there is from the first century by far. Yeah, like like you said, you know, people could be ignorant um, and and say, like, there are people out there, oh, it's just a myth, it's just a story, it's just a legend, who is Jesus? But it's like, that. that's that's 100% not possible. These are yeah. historical um, events. I think, what are we up to now? There's been hundreds of names in the Bible that have been proven to exist in history. Like, there's no doubt that, you know, the kings um, and all these things that are mentioned in the Bible exist. And then you look at someone like Jesus Christ, um, who is far more attested than any of those people. You know, I think Jesus as a historical figure and then moreover his resurrection, yeah, is so attested in history that it's like you can't get around it. You yeah, can't get right. around it. And you like the next fact is is that you you can't get around that they didn't find the body. Like that 100% happened, that there was nobody there. They can't bring it up. There, there's no possible way yep. to disprove. Yeah, no historian, no historian is prepared to go there. Uh, the Bible obviously presents that Jesus was resurrected and uh, that body was never, ever found. You're listening to Faith FM, positively different radio. Okay, so this brings us along to a couple of other points that are worth considering in relationship to the resurrection, which is the foundation of Christianity, and that is that it's a part of Mark's gospel. This mm. is important because Mark's gospel was um, drawn from material that was written down within five years of the events. Mm-hmm. Legends are created at least three generations from the events around which they form. Yeah. So that's a very, very long period of time. And legends, of course, are also very complex. Yeah. Whereas when history is written, it's written down in a, in a, in a very simple historical manner. And so you're dealing with, uh, you know... Um, a source that is, you know, from the time period of when this happened. Um, this, you know, it's not a, a later development. There's no, there's no time frame here in which a legend can develop. Neither is there the language of a uh, a legendary development. It just, you know, mm. it, it, it's just like oh, this happened, and then this happened, and then this happened. There were legends that grew up around the story of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. You know, these grew up in the second and third century. They were found amongst the Gnostic religions, and you know, they're very, very fanciful and very, very detailed, and um, they lack the simplicity of the gospel accounts. Anybody who studies literature, particularly ancient literature, is always looking for simplicity of account to get a historical detail. Mm. The moment you get complexity, and it, it, it automatically starts to move into the area of um, legend. So here's another thought. Where was Jesus buried? In a tomb. Whose? Uh, Joseph of Arimathea. Who was Joseph of Arimathea? Oh, Joseph of Arimathea was a very important and rich and wealthy council member of the... He, was he part of the Sanhedrin? Yeah, he's part of, part of the Sanhedrin. Yeah. Um, 
and uh, the most wealthy man in Jerusalem, which had the second biggest economy in the world after Rome. Yeah. Jewish people have always been good at making money, right? <laughs> yeah. Just uh, been there since the time of Solomon. Um, so Jesus was not buried in an obscure place. Yeah. It's not like you could be like, oh, we can't find the tomb of Jesus. Mm. We're not exactly sure where we put him. Maybe he was there. Maybe he was here. No, no. He was placed in the most prominent tomb in Jerusalem. Yeah. This would be the most difficult place to, you know, if you were, if you were planning, a, you know, if you were scheming something like, oh, no, Jesus has died. Let's start a new religion based around Jesus having died. Uh, and you've got three days to come up with a scheme. Then you could not find a more difficult place for Jesus to be buried than in the tomb of, you know, Joseph of Arimathea. Yeah. Because for, for one, this is going to be an easy one for the soldiers to defend, um, and it is the most well-known, you know, burial location in Jerusalem. I think the fact that, like, yeah, as well as that, like, it was a big event, Jesus' crucifixion and then, you know, him being taken to the tomb. It wasn't like... It wasn't like there was any secrecy around it. It was a it was a massive thing. Like people would have saw it happening. Yeah, people would have saw the transfer of big crowds of people. Yeah, of Jesus coming off the cross and then being taken to the tomb. Executions at, in the first century in the um in in Jerusalem were about one every seven years. This mm. was not a common occurrence. Uh, this was not something that happened on a daily basis. And so you know that this would be a very public event. Mm. Uh, it would affect very powerfully the entire region. This was not something that was done secretly. Everybody knew what had taken place. Everybody knew where Jesus had been taken. And if you were going to make up a legend, you would not go and name the most prominent man in Jerusalem in relationship to that legend unless that's exactly what happened. Oh, for sure. You know, th- because th- that would be like, you know, you would name somebody obscure that nobody had ever heard of. And, mm. oh, he was buried in th- th- this tomb over here. And everyone's like, well, you know, how do you verify that? Whereas the fact that they named Joseph of Arimathea's tomb, it's like, we'll go there and have a look. Yeah. It's like, it's like, it would be like me saying like, oh, yeah, you know, I um <laughs> I live like with Dick Smith or something. Like I li- yeah. Or like, you know, yeah, me, I live with Mark Zuckerberg or, you know, Bill Gates or Steve Jobs when he was alive. That's it's right. something like that, you know, exactly. like oh, I, I live in his house, me and him are best friends, like, and we hang out. Like it's, you know, you wouldn't name that name because that person has, you know, so much influence and, you know, is such a big name that people would know. Okay, let's think about the uh, the next aspect, aspect of this. How many How many soldiers were placed around the tomb? 50. No. 100? Double it. Yeah. 100. 100. There were 100 soldiers placed around the tomb. These are highly trained Roman soldiers. They were placed there for the express purpose of ensuring that the body was not stolen. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't as if Jesus disappeared into a random empty tomb and then the body vanished. No, he went into the most prominent tomb that there was and there was a guard of 100 soldiers placed around that tomb to make sure that nobody stole the body. Yeah, and I think it's got to be said, these are Roman soldiers. This is the most powerful military <laughs> That's that, right. that they'd ever been before them. And the penalty for sleeping on guard duty? Death. Instant death. Instant death. That's pretty motivating, I would yeah. say. <laughs> yeah. You know, I would be highly, if I was guarding that tomb, I would be highly motivated to stay awake. Yeah, for sure. Um, and so the simple fact that there were so many soldiers placed around the tomb just adds to the story mm. 
because you have the record of this taking place and then you have the story that is put out by you know the uh, the Jewish leaders at this particular time that the soldiers went to sleep and the body was taken and it's funny so this is like, the enemies of Christ yeah go ahead yeah it's funny um, because like it says in the Bible when it recounts this that that that's the the legend that they hold to this day mm-hmm. like when the gospel account is being told in the Bible but even to this day um, by you know leaders of the Jewish faith, it's still the, oh, the disciples stole the body. Um, because again, there's no way they can get around that it happened in history. So mm-hmm. it's this, the disciples stole the body, the disciples stole the body. You know why they say the disciples stole the body? How come? Because the disciples were fishermen, they were dirt poor, they had no money, they had no means to bribe the Romans. Mm-hmm. And they knew that if they put that story out there, it would just sound ridiculous and no one would believe it. It was actually more believable that the Romans would sleep on duty, even though it would was supposedly cost them their life, than that the disciples would bribe them. Yeah, they just didn't have that kind of money. Yeah, you know they were they were from the from the bottom level of of society. And so here's what you've got: you have the you have the followers of Christ proclaiming that the tomb is empty and Jesus has been raised from the dead. Mm-hmm. You have the enemies of Christ proclaiming that the tomb is empty. Mm-hmm. Both groups agree on this. You know, it's not like there's any disagreement over the issue of whether the tomb is empty or not. Yeah. Everybody agrees on it. It's just that uh, one group has tried to come up with an explanation that is rather difficult to come up with. Yeah, for sure. Okay, here's something else that's interesting. All our feminists will like this one. <laughs> Who discovered the tomb was empty? It was women. And why is that interesting? It's interesting because if 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 you know if I was trying to start a religion, especially in in the first century, I wouldn't give the account that women discovered the tomb empty. And why would you not do that? Because um, and this is a bit unfortunate, but at the time, women were seen as lower class citizens and not reliable mm-hmm. witnesses. And this is because of the Greek culture that had uh, come into Jewish culture, mm. uh, where women could never be held, used as a as an eyewitness. Uh, you could have a hundred women who could see a murder. You could drag them all into court. They could all say, yes, that's the guy who did the murder. And he would still get off scot-free because they weren't qualified to be a witness because they were a woman. Yeah. So this is what's called an argument from embarrassment um, or an evidence from embarrassment. If you were making up a legend and you wanted that legend to have credibility, you would never record women as being the first witnesses to Mm. what had taken place. For sure, it simply would not take place, and the fact that they can that 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 women record it is um, evidence that they're just simply writing down what happened. This is just mm. how it happened. Um, you know, it was women who were the first ones who discovered that tomb to uh, to be empty. All right, so here's another an, another thought that we should think about, and we've mentioned it before. Whereabouts was it that the disciples start preaching? Immediately, yeah. In what city? In Jerusalem. Why not in Spain? Yeah, you know, if they had gone to Spain, you could understand. It's like, yeah, let's get out of here. Let's go to Spain. Let's go a long way away and let's start a new religion based on a legend about Jesus. Mm-hmm. And everyone's in Spain like, oh, yeah, okay, that sounds plausible. Yeah, maybe that happened. Whereas they start in Jerusalem, where the tomb is. You can't preach about the resurrection in Jerusalem if there's a body in the tomb. Yeah. That's just impossible. And they started within days of the event. 
Yeah, it's incredible. You know, so you, the more you go down through this, and we could go on and on and on about it. We're gonna we're gonna probably leave it here, but uh, um, we find the resurrection is one of the most well attested facts of history, and certainly of the first century from a purely historical perspective. But this is uh, Alison Brooke with the song "No Words." The swirling darkness bearing down I've got the smile turned to a frown The weight of sin, the bitter cup of woe The drinks he drank that choked his cry As even Jesus asked God why The burden none of us will No
That was Alison Brooke with No Words here on Faith FM, and we are back to the story of Paul. Let's go to the book of Acts and Acts chapter 23. Before we do there, another clue for the quiz uh, there, Lawson. Oh, here we go. This is this is the last clue. Okay. Hmm. I've got the wrong city stuck in my head, and I can't get another <laughs> one into it now. All right. It was here that Saul, Saul offered up a burnt, off, burnt sacrifice because ah. he became impatient while waiting for Samuel. Yeah, 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 yeah. I got it this time. I know I've got it this time. Yep. yep. I got it this time. That's an obscure quiz. Yeah. That's, that's very that's cool. That's a hard oh, one. Oh, I can't believe I got it all the way down there. All right. <clears throat> if you know the answer, there's now only one prize available. But we so. did give you... Like one and a half of the program to get two prizes. one 800 is our number. Give us a call if you know the answer now. There's still a prize out there. So, um, yeah, one 800 fm Or text it through on 0491-064-669. Back to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 23 is where we are at. Acts chapter 23, and if anybody's wondering why is Lawson here, that's because Mon is in Germany, and of course Lawson is with us for the next two weeks, which we're super thankful for, uh, filling in for Mon while she's away. Acts chapter 23 and verse 12. All right, so we start reading in verse 12, um, just moving on with the narrative. The next morning, a a group of Jews got together and bound themselves with an oath to not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. Love the story. Dude, that's that's insane. Yeah, that's <laughs> pretty heavy going. There were more than 40 of them in the conspiracy. They went to the leading priests and elders and told them, we have bound ourselves with an oath to not eat anything um, until Paul has been killed. So you, the high council, should ask the commander to bring Paul back to the council again. Pretend that you want to examine his case more fully and we will kill him on the way. Okay, there is a deep conspiracy here. Dude. <laughs> this is this is pretty full on stuff. It's like, yeah. you know, when somebody takes that kind of oath that uh, they're not going to eat and they're not going to drink until Paul is dead, they are serious people. Dude, they're not messing around. You do not want to meet these guys on a dark night. <laughs> Certainly not if your name is Paul. Yeah, definitely. Okay, keep going for us. All right. um, Then continuing on in verse 16, it says, But Paul's nephew, his sister's son, heard of their plan and went to the fortress and told Paul. Okay, this is something that's interesting because we don't really hear a lot about Paul's family, do we, in the Bible? No. Just a little little, uh, clue right here. We find that Paul obviously had at least one sister. Yeah. Who had grown up and uh, grown up in Tarsus, I assume, but was uh, living in Jerusalem, living mm-hmm. in, and married, and had children in Jerusalem. You sort of wonder, you know, was was she a uh, a convert? Was she a follower of Jesus Christ? Mm-hmm. We don't know, do we? Well, she, but know, she cared for a brother. Yeah, then you know, the and nephew she, she was gets on the she gets wind Paul. of this plot. Mm. Okay, so the nephew. Let's tell tell us about the nephew. Okay. Um, the next verse in 17, it says, Paul called for one of the Roman officers and said, Take this young man to the commander. He has something important to tell him. So the officer did, explaining, Paul, Paul, explaining, Paul the prisoner called me over and asked me to bring, to, to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took his hand, led him aside and asked, What is it you want to tell me? Paul's nephew told him, Some Jews are going to ask you to bring Paul before the high council tomorrow 
pretending they want to get some more information. But don't do it. There are more than 40 men hiding along the way, ready to ambush him. They vowed not to eat or drink anything until they have killed him. Okay, let's stop there for a moment. This also tells us something about, um, uh, there's some hints here as to Paul's nephew. Mm -hmm. He was obviously a kid. Yeah. A gutsy kid, yeah. <laughs> you know, walks in there, talks to the governor and so forth. But, you know, the, the hints are there, you know, takes him by the hand. These are things that you do with a child. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, Paul's, Paul's nephew was quite young. Uh, yeah. It seems that uh, his sister was maybe a lot younger than he was or, or was having her family later in life. We don't know mm-hmm. the details. But, uh, yeah, just interesting little insights here. Mm. But, uh, yeah, gutsy kid goes in there and just uh, spills the whole plot. Yeah. Dude, it's awesome. Um, and I guess just finishing off, um, you know, don't let anyone know you told me this. The commander warned the young man. Mm-hmm. And it's just really interesting story. Like, I-, I love it. It's just like... Oh, it's the most awesome story because the thing that goes through my mind is what happened to these guys that took this oath. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because they've, if they've taken an oath or a blood oath or a, an oath before God... Yeah. You know, what are you going to do about that? To not eat or drink until How seriously, you, you know, because killed. they were obviously very confident that they were going to be able to kill this guy mm. um, as he's being taken to the council. Like, yeah, this will be easy. This will be a piece of cake. And uh, we're going to kill him and then we're going to vanish into the crowds and it'll all be taken care of. Mm-hmm. But it's not what happens. Yeah. Keep, 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 keep reading for us there, more of that story, because um, I, I want to get to what happens. I just, it just makes me laugh when I think about it because it's like... Did these guys go on a hunger strike? Did they starve themselves to death? (laughs) Or were they eating a day later when they realized that this was never going to happen? And if so, how did they get out of their oath? Where did they find a loophole? The whole point of an oath is that it doesn't have a loophole. (laughs) That's it. But the the story continues in verse 23. Then the commander called two of his officers and ordered, get 200 soldiers ready to leave for Caesarea at 9 o'clock tonight. Also, take 200 spearmen and 70 mounted troops, provide horses for Paul to ride, and get him safely to the Governor Felix. Okay, so this guy had dealt with Jews before, and Jews Mm -hmm. could be a troublesome lot. They could be violent at times. They did not like or appreciate Roman rule in any way, shape, or form. It was not uncommon for Roman soldiers to be ambushed and killed just Mm -hmm. because they were Romans. Yeah. Uh, You know, you had a whole group of uh, terrorist cells called the Zealots. Yeah. And, of course, one of Jesus' disciples, Simon... Simon was uh, a, a zealot, a, a, a part of that group, and uh, obviously changed by conversion with um, you know with Jesus Christ. But he's not taking any chances. He hears there's a plot of forty men, so he's like, "Yeah, you know what? I'm going to send out a couple of hundred mm. highly trained Roman legionnaires. Uh, try getting through that lot. Yeah. If but- you think you can take them on." Go for it. This is this is this is uh, you know he's not doing things. There is there is uh, there is no kill like overkill, mm. and he's just like overkill. He doesn't send out you know forty soldiers, which would be enough to take care of uh, some uh, you know some untrained fighters. But uh, he's just like yeah, you're going to be massively outnumbered. Mm. If you're going to take on this group, you're going to be massively outnumbered, and you're going to get slaughtered. <laughs> Rip, dude. I think it's it's funny too how much like like they're putting so much effort into the transfer of Paul, which I think alludes me to you know we know that Paul was actually a Roman citizen, mm-hmm. and they like I think maybe just because of his his countenance and who he is, they can see okay, Paul's actually 
a legit guy. Yeah, there's a decent guy. Yeah, and so you know the 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 care that they're taking for Paul to to be able to get him to the next town to to Governor Felix to Caesarea, um, so that he can have a fair trial. They're like, you know, they're really backing their man. And the thing that the, the other thing that you find here in the context of the great controversy, you've got Satan who is trying to destroy Paul. Mm-hmm. He has tried again and again and again and again, and God just keeps stepping in. And every time Satan tries to destroy him, like for instance, when Satan had him stoned, you know, and uh, you know he comes back to life, and here in this particular situation, it's like he's going to have him assassinated. And you've got Paul marching out of the city in company of you know a couple of hundred soldiers. Mm-hmm. This is just bringing publicity to the gospel and to Paul's message in a way that Paul could never have done if mm. he'd just gone around the synagogues and done a bit of preaching. Oh, sure. I think it's like it's super inter- meant the witness that it would be to all the soldiers transferring Paul and everything that's happening there. Like it was, it was incredible. Yeah, absolutely. Anyway, we need to continue on with this story next week. Um, of course, if you're listening to the delayed broadcast, that might be different. But this is Malvinus.
They're living far longer and far happier than most people in the world. And now, their secret's out. Six regions have been identified as blue zones, places where people experience holistic health, and it's doing them a lot of favors. So do yourself a favor and come along to the free Rethink Health workshops, where we will explore six core principles of health and longevity proven through the Blue Zones at the Swansea Center Sunday, October 7, October 14, and October 21st. From 5 p.m. is where you'll find us. For more information, call 0402-528-869 or search for the Rethink Health event on Facebook. Be safe. 
Welcome back, guys. We have come to our question of the daytime, and uh, we have. Do we have another clue for our quiz yet or not? Is no, that's all it. We're, we're all through. We're all we're through, through with all the quiz. All the quiz. Okay, to give us that last clue, real quick, and see if somebody can call in and snavel up the prize. Wait, last clue, as in the last clue? The last clue. Okay, I am Golan, Gilgal, or Gath. Oh, which one of those? There you go. That is that is the last. That last, is last, the last, 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 last one. One of those three. Do we ever get to the last like clue? Yeah, like sometimes the, we do. Sometimes we do. Dude, this is man. Okay, okay. <laughs> yeah. this, is, this is a gnarly quiz. So yeah, yeah, this is next level. Like a, this yeah, is going like, to be hard. Listen. Okay, uh, what have we got for question of the day? There. Question Wilson? of the day is: Does it talk about dinosaurs in the Bible? Okay, so the, does the Bible talk about dinosaurs? This is a really good question, and um, let's uh, yeah, let, let's let's think about this for a moment. Dinosaurs are mostly known from the fossil record; they're entirely known from the fossil record today. And as a result of that, a lot of people would say, "Well, dinosaurs lived a very, very long time ago, and therefore we would not find them in the Bible." However, um, there are it's, it's a somewhat of a debate. There are a number of creatures in the Bible that definitely resemble what we would describe as a dinosaur. Of course, the, the word dinosaur refers to large lizard. And so you've got three creatures in the Bible that could fall into the category of what we might consider to be a dinosaur. Now, of course, none of us were around when the Bible was written, and so I'm going to delve somewhat here into the area of personal opinion. Um, so your three animals that uh, could qualify is, of course, your Leviathan, your Behemoth, and your Tanyin. Now, the Tanyin um, is translated as either dragon, sea monster, or serpent, depending on which translation of the Bible uh, you are reading. Um, universally agreed to be a large reptile of some description. Now, of course, a dinosaur, a large lizard, is a large reptile. And so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're looking at um, you know a reptile-like creature when we read about these. Considering that the dinosaurs are known to us from the fossil record, we would recognize that the fossils were buried, obviously, during the Great Flood. Mm. There is very little in the Bible about the history of the world previous to the Flood. So you've got about, what is it, uh, seven chapters, six chapters, six, seven chapters that deal with the time leading up until the Flood, and seven if you're including the Flood itself. That's a very, very short amount of material, a very small amount of material covering a very large amount of history. And so it's very, very low on detail. So you would not expect the Bible in this particular portion to deal with unnecessary details like as if, you know, all the, the different animals that were running around at that time. Now, of course, there's every possibility and some people put some very strong arguments forward that there were dinosaurs on the ark, or at least dinosaur eggs on the ark, if not whole, you know, complete dinosaurs on the ark. And uh, as a result of that, you know, you've got stories such as the Leviathan, the Behemoth, um, and then, of course, all of the references that, that, there, that there are to the Tanyan or the dragons, as they are so often uh, translated. They are initially translated as dragons in the King James Version. A lot of translations continue from there. If you read the biblical description of you know, some of these creatures, say, for instance, the behemoth, it does not fit the description of anything that we have here on this earth. So let me just read it very quickly for you. It says, uh, Behold now behemoth which I made with you. He eats grass like a cow. So it says, you know, he's like a cow, but he's not. 
That's what he eats. Lo, his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. So very, very powerful uh, legs, very, very powerful hind legs here. Um, he moves his tail like a cedar. Now, a cedar was considered to be a massive tree. And so here you're looking for a creature that eats grass. It's a huge creature. Its its power is in its loins and its hind legs, and it has a massively long and thick tail that can swing backwards and forwards mm. and you can do tremendous damage. It doesn't take a lot of imagination to see a dinosaur when you're reading this particular passage right here. Yeah. Um, there is no creature on Earth right now um, outside of the fossil record that fits that description. Move on and read about the Leviathan. And the Bible, uh, Job chapter 41, gives you a whole chapter on the Leviathan and gives you a, a description of here of a sea monster of some description that once again fits very, very well with what we know about dinosaurs. There's a few thoughts. We're going to listen to Hoku Clements. Your will be done. Here I am This is the life I've been given I'm just one Out of countless there were
That was Hoku Clements with Your Will Be Done here on Faith FM. We've come to the end of the show, and the end of the show means that we're about to give something away. Lawson? Yes, we're going to give I, something I nearly, away. I nearly called you Mon. Mon was on my... <laughs> <laughs> like, no, that's not going to work. Lawson is here filling in for Mon. It is the end of the show. What are we giving away as a free prize? You don't have to ask any, answer any difficult questions or anything. Just uh, call up 1-800-324-843 and there is a prize coming your way. What is it? It is a book. It is a book called Thoughts from the Mount of Blessings. Okay, so this is an awesome little book right here. And uh, this particular edition is really nice, full of colorful pictures all the way through. And uh, this is all about... The Sermon on the Mount. Now, this mm. is the longest sermon recorded by Jesus that we have anywhere in the Bible. Mm. Um, it's often been described as his manifesto. Mm. You know, this is this is his defining of what it means to be a Christian right here. Um, his Magna Carta, his 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 greatest document that he ever wrote. Not that he wrote it himself; it was written under inspiration by prophets um, mm. who were there at that particular time. Um, in this case, in particular, Matthew uh, probably has the best account of the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, yeah, so this little book here by Ellen White um, goes through the Sermon on the Mount. And I've got to tell you that this is a life-changing book right here on a life-changing subject. Mm. You know, there's some really, really deep stuff in the Sermon on the Mount. Very, very challenging uh, for us as Christians. Not just a, uh, you know... Three or four chapters of um, of nice sayings. Yeah, yeah. It's like love your enemies, do good to those that hate you, you know, bless those that despitefully use you and persecute you. All kinds of great challenges right there. But uh, yes, we need to move on with uh, the show. Continues on, and we are finishing up for the day, Lawson. Yes, we are. We miss you guys. We love you guys. We're going to miss you until Monday morning, unless you're listening to the delayed broadcast. When who knows when you hear this? But uh, stay tuned. More great programming. See you next week. Grace came down and opened us like flowers Love came flowing gently like a stream Kept us safe for a little while Till the waves rose higher and higher We learned in time those waters must recede But of this I'm sure
down the fire, burn more faithful than before.